0: From the campus at the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham.
1: And Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are on Sirius XM channel 111, and we are here every Thursday live, and we're taking your calls now throughout the hour on Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter, and I'm here with the Dream Team, Dion and Michelle, who are running the ship as always. Michelle is ready to take your calls at 1-844-WHARTON. That's one 942 7866 Hey, so let's dive right into today's hot topic. Today we are talking all about red flags. Red flags are those warning signs that tell you something just isn't right. Like maybe in a relationship when your new girlfriend doesn't want to friend you on Facebook or when you get that telemarketing call saying you've won an all-expense-paid trip to Australia but it sounds just a little too good to be true. You, as a job seeker, may be putting out red flags and not even know it. You may not even be realizing. So if you're not getting called back for an interview or if none of your resumes are getting any bites, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. We would love to help you and make sure that you get the job that you want. To help us with this topic today, we welcome back expert guest Ford Myers. Ford is the president of Career Potential a consulting firm specializing in career consulting, executive coaching, and corporate outplacement. And he's been providing coaching for over 20 years. Ford's two books, which are Get the Job You Want Even When No One's Hiring and The Ultimate Career Guide, are available for you, and Ford will tell you how to get those in just a minute. And you can learn more about him at careerpotential.com. Welcome to Career Talk, Ford.
2: Thank you, Dawn. Great to be back.
1: Where can people get those books?
2: Well, the, uh, the one you mentioned, which is called Get the Job You Want Even When No One's Hiring, is available, of course, on Amazon.com. And Ultimate Career Guide is available at ultimatecareerguide.com.
1: Excellent. So let's dive right into this, Ford. What is the most common red flag you see with your clients that they don't even realize they're putting out to employers in the job search?
2: Well, I think it has something to do with being uh, over-eager, okay? Uh, Desperate almost. Of course, someone wants to get a job. They've been working hard at this. They really want to land that all-important position. But too often, they can come off as seeming desperate. And they're too eager. And in some cases, they may not ask enough questions or do enough research, they might not determine that it's a good fit. So I think this is a red flag for the employer, because they can see the candidate is not asking enough questions. And it could also be a red flag for the employee, because uh, the employer may not be providing enough information. So it's a lack of information, a lack of research. And ultimately can lead to a bad fit.
1: So let's talk about this. What's the where's that line between I'm excited and interested in this job and I'm desperate for this job? Mm-hmm. Because I do agree with you as a recruiter, if I sense desperation at all, it would put all kinds of red flags in my head saying, What's up with this? And might lead me not to hire this person. But the flip side is if they weren't excited and they mm-hmm. seem to be like whatever I don't know that that would be very good either. So where's that line, Ford?
2: Well, you brought up a great word, which is the word excited. So of course a candidate can seem and act in a way that is very excited, but that's different than desperate. You don't want to go over the line. So here's an example. If an employer says, so Dawn, um, you know, we're pretty interested in you as a candidate. Uh, Tell us, are you considering any other options and have you had any other interviews And you say, no, this is the only one, and I really just want to work here. I I just want to work here. Can I work here? I'd love to work here. That's not a good sign, all right? (laughs) A good employee or a candidate should say, yes, I am considering other options. And then if the employer says, well, how does this one compare? You, as the candidate, would say, it compares favorably, and I'd like to hear more. So in other words, you're acting engaged, you're interested, and you're excited. You could even say, I'm really excited about this opportunity, but you don't want to sound so desperate that you turn them off.
1: hmm So- I know when when being a former job seeker, as you and I have been, I mean, it can get pretty frustrating being in a job search and getting rejection after rejection. And rejection is part of the job search. And people, let's face it, have responsibilities and bills and everything else. So you get to the point where you're emotionally drained. You show up for this interview and it is really hard not to show some kind of desperation. How do you recommend people maybe prep themselves Mm -hmm. or psych themselves up Mm -hmm. for that?
2: Well, it is about sucking yourself up. What a person wants to do is have some downtime before the interview. In other words, don't rush into it after you know, studying all about the company five minutes before and then running it. Instead, what you want to do is schedule some downtime where you can gather yourself. You can almost like meditate, breathe, or take a walk, or do something that can settle your thoughts and settle your nerves. Get your head together. Get into the right frame of mind. And even if you are out of work for a long time. And even if you're having trouble paying your bills, you have to act and come off as though there's no problem, there's no issue, I have plenty of options, I'm here to see if this is a good fit. Let's discuss the position. In other words, no desperation. That's what it comes down to. It's a mindset. You've got to get into the right frame of mind.
1: One of the things I like encouraging clients to do is to pretend they're a consultant, that they're in their giving advice in, in terms of, you know, what is the client's pain point and how can I solve that? And they're sharing that. And I think when you you put on the hat of, hey, we're going to have a conversation. I've got some, some great skills to share. They've got some problems that I want to understand and hear about so we can see if this is a good fit. That to me is, is something. It's exactly what you're saying. It puts you in that mindset of, hey, we're equals here. And you know, let's we see want, if there's a good. Yeah, pick. let's see if there's a good match. Hey, if you have a question about a potential red flag that might be getting in your way in the job search, give us a call. We're taking your calls now at one eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or maybe you have a tip you'd like to share with other job seekers that you realized in your job search. We'd love to hear from you. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So. All right, so we've talked a little bit about kind of state of mind and and all of that and nonverbals. So you get there, and you're in the interview. What are some other red flags that don't have to do with with maybe your emotional state,
2: You mean uh, red flags that could turn off the employer? Exactly. Okay, because, you know, there are red flags that turn off employees, and then there's red flags that turn off the employer. But for the moment, let's talk about the red flags that – may turn off the employer. And, oh God, there's so many. I could list three or four of you, uh, three or four right right away.
1: Well, you already said one that I want to highlight because this is incredibly common. And you talked about researching the employer. I, I... Here's my thing. If you can find it on Google, <laughs> then it's not a good question, and you should know the answer before you get into that interview. I can't believe how many people just wing it.
2: That's right, and that's going to turn off the employer for sure. You know, the worst-case scenario is the employer says to you, uh, So, Dawn, tell, tell me, why is it you want to work for our company? And you say, uh, because I saw that you had a job posted on the Internet. That's not a great answer. You want to have an answer that talks about the specific company, their specific needs, their specific history, something that shows you've done your homework. So a couple of other quick uh, turnoffs or red flags that could really make the employer not feel so great about you as a candidate is if you have a real record of job hopping, okay, every six months, every year, you're in a new job, year after year after year. Another one is... Maybe the opposite. You've been out of work for a really long time, and uh, that could be a red flag to employers. Or how about this? Your documents, your resume, they're poorly written, typos, bad grammar. They can see you just didn't do your homework. That's a bad sign that could turn off the employer.
1: So let's uh, dig into those a little bit, because mm-hmm. I think all of those are, are things that we've all experienced before, either as hirers or coaches. So job hopping is an interesting one to me, because you know i think that there's sometimes when a career doesn't work out you get into a job you you figure that this was going to be something different than it turned out to be and you you really want to leave so i mean how do you explain that to well
2: from the candidate standpoint i totally agree with you you and i and everybody else out there has had certain moments in our careers that didn't work out and we had to leave or quit or whatever and so sure it's life that's just life but the employer is being very harsh in their judgment. They are looking at you, you know, through a very harsh eye. And if they even get a hint that you've been a job hopper, they're going to jump to the worst conclusions. And you better have a good answer to address why you might have changed jobs so many times.
1: What would be a good answer?
2: Well, a good answer that's the typical uh, answer that seems to work best overall is to say things like, I left for a better opportunity, or I was recruited by a company who offered me a better position, as opposed to, you know, well, I just couldn't find any work, or I didn't like uh, somebody there, so I quit after three days. You want to have something that sounds respectable and credible. And usually that has something to do with I was progressing in my career and I found a better opportunity or I was recruited for a better position.
1: So one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize is that the opposite is also true, that if you stay with a company for a very long oh, yes. time, that can be a red flag to employers as well because they might anticipate. Yep. Or assume that you're not very agile and that you're only able to perform in one setting. So wh- what do you recommend right. for that
2: for? You're right. That's the opposite kind of red flag in this context. So if you're the kind of person who's been at the same job for 47 years, that can look negative, even though in the old days, 30, 40 years ago, they would have looked at that as a positive. Mm-hmm. You know, the culture has changed. Now the interviewer or the employer will look at someone who's been at the same company for their entire career, and they'll say, Gee, what's wrong with you? Don't you have any guts? Don't you have any moxie? Why don't you get out there and advance your career? So the way to address that usually, Don, is when the candidate will say, well, yes, I was at the same company for 32 years, but I don't really feel like I worked on the same job. I was consistently promoted. I was giving a lot of different responsibilities. I got to work at different plants or different offices around the country. And I always felt like I was challenged and growing and learning and helping and contributing at higher and higher levels. So it was a great career for me, and I don't feel like it was really just in one spot for 32 years. Mm
1: -hmm. So showing your agility. So we're going to go to Ben in Pennsylvania. Ben, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today?
3: Hi, Dr. Don. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Um, My question is, uh, I'm going to be most likely starting an MBA program next fall. Um, Looks like right now I'm hopefully going to be getting in the top 40 programs, uh, going to try and get into uh, top 20 if I can. Um, and I'm going to be transitioning out of the military in November of this year. So I don't think there's going to be too many companies that are going to want to hire me for, you know, maybe nine or 10 months of work. Uh, and I'm just wondering, you know, what would you say that I should do or, you know, try to do in that time period to set myself up best for my time post MBA. So I don't just have, you know, a huge gap what
1: I've been doing. Ooh, great question, Ben. First off, thank you for your service. We really appreciate it. And congrats on pursuing your MBA. So it sounds like you're going to be pursuing your MBA full-time so you're not going to be able to work and you're looking for an opportunity for the next nine months so that you can build your skills and, you know, obviously get a paycheck. Ford, what would you recommend for Ben?
2: Well, first of all, in terms of marketing yourself into a job, while you've been in the military, uh, it's a question of kind of marketing that and um, skewing the message in such a way that your military experience can be transferable into the corporate world or the work world. When you're in the military, um, there's things you're doing, there's activities you're pursuing, there's skills you've learned, there's things you've contributed that I think could be slanted or repackaged in such a way that it would be very attractive to uh, uh, prospective employers. So, So that's one thing. The second thing is I think it's important to um, articulate that value to the employer, and get what I would call a, a bridge job. This is a job you're going to have for nine months or a year, as I understand it, and uh, it's not going to be a long-term career position. So you would market yourself a little differently. You would conduct your job search a little differently as compared to when you, you get out of your MBA and when you're going to be looking for that full-term, uh, full-time, long-term position. So. My biggest advice here is to take your experience in the military, try to package it in such a way that it's attractive, and then position yourself for a bridge job rather than a long term full time career.
1: And Ben, to um to add to that, first off, that being in the military makes you incredibly attractive to employers because you are given a lot of responsibility at usually a very early part of your career, and those skills right now um are are so transferable. As Ford was mentioning, one of the things you might want to consider doing is looking for. A um, contract position. A lot of companies now, actually, more and more, they say by the year twenty twenty, about fifty percent of all jobs will be contract positions, are hiring people for six month gigs or, or you know, just maybe ongoing contract work. And so perhaps because you're looking to do something in nine months that will take you away from the workforce, looking at these contract jobs would be something that would be um, of interest to you. And and some of the there's a lot of places online that actually advertise these contract jobs. There's um, solo gig is one that comes to mind. But I think if you just Google it, there's going to be others. Um, and do you have a specialty you're pursuing in your MBA, Ben?
4: Uh, I'd like to focus
3: on uh, entrepreneurship and also get in as much finance as I can. Um, really, I'm going to be you know, trying to learn the best way in order to raise capital, um, focusing on entrepreneurship. So that's what I'm thinking. And um, if I could kind of tag along one of that, too. Uh, I am to execute, but I am a reservist. I have worked uh, commercially um, for a couple of years in uh, transportation and uh, in energy, so I do have, um, you know, civilian employment experience as well. And I'm wondering, whenever I get to this point, I hear what you're saying about the contract work, and that's uh, an excellent thing to look at, Um, but do I actually say, you know, whenever I'm looking or put on my resume, you know, a matriculating MBA candidate, or does that come later whenever I'm talking to someone?
1: So let me ask you one question before I answer that. So uh, when you first started, you said that I'm applying to programs. Are you 100% going?
3: Uh, I'm not 100%, but based on, um, you know, my application packages so far, some schools have had very positive receptions and, you know, have made me believe that it's a pretty good likelihood that I'll be accepted to those schools.
1: Okay, so... Here's the thing. What if you got an amazing job and you loved it? Would you put off your MBA for a year or two?
3: It's a really great question. Uh, something I've considered. Um, I actually went to a career fair focused on the military a few months back and I've been in, uh, some pretty deep interviews with some, some great companies. Um, and that's kind of another thing that I'm wrestling with right now too, is trying to decide what I want to say to them. Um, but I think, given where I'm at uh, time wise with my family, um, now is the time to go get my MBA. So it would have to be, I think, pretty spectacular for me to decide to not pursue the MBA.
1: Got it. So, um, and you, when you pursue the MBA, you're looking to come out and do entrepreneurship, most likely? Correct. And how old are you, Ben? 27. 27. So so yeah, so you have a long career ahead of you. And so the question is, do you tell companies? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Um, if you're looking at contract work, telling them might actually be a good thing because they they are concerned that people will accept contract work and then leave after two months for something full time. So it actually could be to your benefit to share that information. Uh, if you happen to find that dream job where you think, wow, this might be something I would perhaps postpone my MBA for, then I think that's a different story because the truth is, and I'm I'm very pro-truth, not too much information, but pro-truth, <laughs> is that the fact is if the opportunity is there and they um, have a lot of growth for you, that you you may stay there for a few years. And right now, the average tenure for a job is about four years. So if, I mean, yeah, as Ford that or less. So, so if you were able to give it two, three years, I mean, that's pretty... That's pretty standard these days. So, is that helpful, Ben?
3: Yes. Um, if I could just ask one last thing, it's kind of on the same line there. Um, there is one particular company, a very well known uh, tech company um, that I've gotten decently far with in interviewing and about to go do in person. Um, I would really love to work for this company, but, you know, like I said, I also really want to get my MBA right now. Um, Is it a wise decision to go in there and say, you know, this is what I'd like to do. Do you have room for me to do this? Um, You know, would you want to help me with this? Or is that, you know, maybe I should just not worry about that opportunity right now and then look at it again post-MBA.
1: So here's the thing that you also might want to consider, Ben. Um, I'm not sure I 100% got that. (laughs) But some companies will pay for your MBA, and um, that's something else you might want to consider. There's, you, there's certainly um, here at Wharton we have an executive program where people work full time and pr- get the same exact full time MBA in the weekend. So there's programs like that. There's there's part time MBAs where you go on Saturdays. There's obviously the full time MBAs that you can you can do. But some companies will will hire you uh, and after maybe you know a year or two allow you to go to the program and have a job for you when you come back. So one of the things that I would encourage you to do is really look at all of the options. Because I think when we first started chatting, it was kind of like, well, should I do this or should I do this? But the more I speak with you and, and kind of listen to all of the things you're considering, I think you have a lot of different options. And I think mapping those out and, and, and making sure you know all of them before making a decision is going to be what's going to be most helpful to you. So do me a favor do that look at those companies because you may in 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 time save a lot of money if a company is willing to sponsor you to do that and then give us a call back because we want to know what you're deciding or what you're considering so that we can help you make that that final decision thank you so much ben thank you for your service we appreciate you calling career talk we are taking your calls now at one eight four four wharton that's 844-942-7866 and we're going to go to michael in california michael welcome to career talk how can we help you today
0: Yes, hi. I was listening at the conversation this morning about uh, gaps in employment. Uh, for the longest, I've been a self you know self employed. You know, I worked in the banking community as a senior underwriting commercial analyst, and I also have my own business on the side. So I was wondering, you know, when I have a downsides of uh, in my work activity, and then I go out and do consulting work, that's considered bad and not good or what primarily.
1: So you um, you do contract work, and then when you when you have periods of time, you're doing consulting to kind of fill in the gaps?
0: Yes, in my own company. I have my own company on the side, plus I have my MBA already. So I specialize in compliance, due diligence, underwriting, and auditing, and SOC four. So when my business is not, uh, I have contracts, I go out and work for banks across the country as a consultant. So I was just wondering... I know you said something about gaps in employment and some of that nature, but when I talk to them, I tell them that I am a consultant. Is that a bad reflection, a good reflection, or how do they review that? How do they see that primarily?
1: Got it. Okay. Thank thank you for that extra um, explanation. I think I got it now, Michael. So here's the thing. What we know is that we are moving towards much more of a portfolio career and contract type system in terms of work. I mean, this idea of staying, as Ford talked about, with a company for 20 years and retiring with a pension is, is really going the way of the rotary phone. Um, so what you're doing is not, very unusual, what you're doing is you you have a lot of balls in the air. And I think what's important to you if you decide you want to go back into a company or you're putting your resume or your LinkedIn together and you want to make sure people know your brand is for you to look at all of those things you're doing, find the alignment, find the, the common thread that goes through them. And that could be the, the, the pain points you solve for your customers and clients. It could be the particular skills that you're an expert at and make sure when you put, your your documents together that you're pulling out all of these things that that are really focused and aligned so that when somebody looks at you they don't see a bunch of disjointed jobs but they see this person who solves a particular type of problem just perhaps in a couple of different settings. So that that would be my advice for you Michael. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. We are taking our calls now at 1844 Warden. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host Dr. Don Graham and we are here with Ford Myers career expert and we are talking all about red flags. So Bob in Pennsylvania, thanks for giving us a call on Career Talk. How can we help you today?
0: Uh, hi. Uh, first off, I agree with, with everything Don, you and Ford have said. I think you make some great points. Uh, I think as far as the red flag in interviewing, uh, you were talking about being, you know, maybe too desperate sounding or something like that. And and my my opinion is if you're dealing with a retained recruiter, they, they should be able to answer you a lot of your questions before you go in there. And I think you just want to go in and verify what they've been telling you. But if you're going in on your own, I think you know the mindset is, in my opinion, to be very confident. And as you said, Don, you're acting as a consultant and you're interviewing them. So to me, it's very difficult to be too excited because you really don't know all the detail yet. So as I said, I agree with, with both of you, with you, had said, but the idea of going in and you're going in to interview them. So you're excited about the potential, but you don't really know. Uh, the position yet, so uh, I would encourage people not, not to be too excited because you don't know exactly what you're getting into.
1: Bob, you bring up a good point. I find often, and and this is something to be careful about too, that you know, if people are, have an interview at a at a company with a great reputation, maybe Google or Amazon. You know, and they, as candidates, they overlook a lot of red flags because they just have this myopic view of this is a great company, and despite the fact that the manager that I'd be working for is taking. Taking phone calls and screaming at people during the interview, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen, and I'm going to take this job because because it's Amazon or it's 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 Apple or it's a great company. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I do think, and this is an important point to reiterate. Forward what, what you said that it is a two way street, and I think the more you can go into it with the fact that hey, I'm excited about what I've seen so far. They're excited with what they've seen so far. Let's let's talk about this and see if it's really what it looks like on paper, that, you know, that's going to be a, a greater win-win because you can you can pretend for a little while, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to be a place where you're spending 60 hours or more in today's world. So thank you so much, Bob. We know you're a loyal listener. We really appreciate you calling Career Talk. We're taking your calls throughout the hour, 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. Holly in Tennessee, thanks for being patient. How can we help you today on Career Talk?
5: Oh, thank you for taking my call. I love your show. Thanks, Holly. Um, How do you handle, so my title does not reflect what I'm currently doing, and actually what I'm currently doing more reflects the direction that I want to go. How do I represent that? How do I, yeah, how do I basically get that across in a resume?
1: So your, um, your title, just let me make sure I clarify this, Holly. So your current title is not reflective of where you want to go?
5: Exactly. And it's also not reflective of what I'm currently doing. So, I mean, I can get a little bit more specific in the sense that I do work in higher ed. Okay. And my, tech, my technical title is lecturer. yet the last six months to a year I've been developing um, courses online. And that's the direction that I want to move my career.
1: Okay. So you're talking about on your resume or your LinkedIn, how do you, how do you brand exactly. yourself in the new direction? So um, uh, first thing I would say is do you have a summary on your LinkedIn and your resume? Yes, I do. Perfect. So I think this is a good place to start. Ford. How can uh, what advice do you have for Holly?
2: Okay, so Holly, I think I understand your situation, and the title is one little line on your resume. all right? It's not mm-hmm. the whole resume. It's not the whole story. So even okay. though you can't, you can't lie and make up your own title, what you can do mm-hmm. is you can qualify and describe and embellish and, and, and really um, you know explain more clearly what you actually do and i would put that right in the first sentence of the job description like right under the title where you describe what the job entails i would go mm-hmm. right into the fact that you're deeply involved in developing courses and curriculum and um you could include that you're doing some lecturing or used to do some lecturing you could even mm-hmm. say that your job has moved gradually to the point where you're almost doing all uh, curriculum and and uh, course development mm-hmm. Also, okay. in the summary, as Dawn said, at the top of the resume, instead of saying lecturer, blah, 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 I would say that you would say uh, something like, um, you know, senior uh, education development professional or wh- whatever you call it. And again, go right into the fact that you are focused on devel- developing courses and curriculum right in the first sentence of the summary.
1: I agree with that. And, and Holly, that's it's interesting because a resume is a marketing document. And as Ford said, I would never lie, especially about things like level. But it, it's funny. I, I got to share this, Ford, because um, <laughs> job titles today have gotten so crazy that it's really difficult to put a job title on from your company if it doesn't really make sense to the the outside world so so wait there's this great um there's this great uh, website samdutton.com and i want to say he's um he's an exec at one of the big companies i want to say it's google but Uh, Don't quote me on that. But anyway, I was just typing that in because what it does is you you put your name in. It's totally free. And it just comes up with these crazy titles. Like, I just did it now. Don is an Enterprise Solution Deliverable Architect. (laughs) Don is an Integrated Performance Enhancement Provider. (laughs) Don is an Internal Connectivity Platform Analyst. (laughs) So anyway, it's kind of a funny thing, samdutton.com. And my point of bringing this up, Holly, sorry to digress. But the fact is companies are coming up with these crazy titles. (laughs) and they don't really make sense to recruiters or the outside world. So I do think you have some flexibility in putting something on there that makes sense to the to people in the outside world and like Ford said hey the first thing you put out there is what is aspirational what you're doing now what you want to be and um, you really drive people in that direction the other thing in your summary the great thing about the summary is I love that you really can can use it as the lens through which people see the rest of your resume so if, if in your summary you have words like you know, educational development or, or course development, then when I look at the rest of your resume, and granted, I'm going to take six seconds to do it, I'm going to look at it with that lens, with that frame, and start to see things that align with that. So, so I, I, I totally think this is something doable. And um, we wish you a lot of luck, Holly. Was that helpful?
5: Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so
1: much. Holly, thank you so much for listening to Career Talk and also for calling in. We're taking our calls now at one 844 That's 844-942-7866. But now we're going to go to the pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Okay. According to research, using this in your email subject line can increase open rates by more than 60% think you know give us a call at 1-844-WARDEN 844-942-7866 using this in your email subject line can increase open rates by more than 60% and it is not free beer all right you're (laughs) listening to career talk on SiriusXM channel 111 we'll be right back
0: You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don
4: Graham.
1: Hey, welcome back to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we're here with Ford Myers, expert career coach, talking all about red flags and how to avoid them so that you can get the job that you want. We are taking our calls live throughout the hour, 1-844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. So if it's Thursday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are here taking our calls now. We're going to go to Terrence in Virginia. Terrence, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today?
4: Hi. Hey, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, my thing is, is uh, I'm looking for a position uh, in an organization, an executive level position in an organization that does technology uh, solutions. Um, But my problem is, uh, early in my career, I worked at a large financial institution and made it to the level of uh, vice president. Uh, And at the early 2000s, right when the market uh, turn happened, I ended up leaving that job and... uh, did some project management work, and also started my own company and completed my MBA. Uh, and I, I did that for several years. And uh, in the last few years, I've noticed uh, you know, the uh, job market seemed to have picked up. And I started doing more contract work uh, for technical IT work. And now I'm looking to get back into an organization on the executive level, not just the project manager level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know how to actually market myself to break that upper executive level ceiling. You know, I'm a PM level three, but I've run have run my own organization. I've managed large budgets. I've delivered new products to market from basically from concept to actual market delivery. But I don't know exactly how to to push that to get you know, to land that you know senior vice president role at a large
1: organization. Got it. So you had an executive role and then um, things kind of changed and you took on some different roles. And so when you, my guess is when you look at your resume, you've got executive level roles a couple of roles ago, and you're kind of saying, how can I get back into this type of role from where I am now? Ford, what advice do you have for Mm -hmm. Terrence?
2: Well, Terrence, it's kind of like what we were saying to a previous caller. You want to weave this story together into a consistent theme. We want to have continuity so it doesn't look like, oh, I used to be a big executive and now I'm not. (laughs) Instead, we want to talk about the whole story, the big picture. And with your branding or your marketing, you're going to want to come right out and say in your summary that you are a senior executive with experience in, uh, you mentioned technology, you mentioned uh, project leadership and so forth. Um, Don't make it real clear that you have been in so-called lower-level positions recently. Instead, make the message that you are a senior-level executive. Also, there's something else. The resume, in cases like yours, can sometimes be presented as a functional resume rather than a chronological resume. In certain select cases, this can work for some people. What the uh, functional resume does is it promotes your overall functional skills and strengths rather than promoting the chronology. Excuse me, the chronology. So that has to be done advisedly. It's not for everyone, but you might consider doing a functional resume.
1: And Terrence, um, I agree with what Ford said about the, you are a whole person and, and your whole person, your whole career history, you have different roles, you have different expertise levels at different things. And I think when you write a resume or do a profile or start to brand yourself, I think one of the things people do is they start to really position themselves as whatever they've done last. And that's that's just not the case. We're multi-dimensional, we've done a lot of things. So the fact is, you had an executive level position. So in essence, you have that skill. That is That is not a lie, that's not made up. And I would position Myself, if I were you, as the executive who's done these other things, instead of the you know project manager who used to be an executive, as Ford mentioned. So I think looking at yourself holistically and saying, you know, here's here's who I am. I'm I am an executive. I have these skills as an executive, and yeah, these are other things I've done. The summary is going to be your best friend on this because you can bring up to the top, front, and center all of those skills you gained as an executive, all those those accomplishments you've had as an executive. And that is going to be the first thing that I see as a recruiter. Also, considering I'm going to spend six seconds, perhaps, on your resume before making a decision, that's where I'm going to spend the majority of of my time in that top part. So bringing up that to the front and center is going to be helpful. So Ford, I'm going to challenge you on something because I hate 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 mm-hmm. functional resumes mm-hmm. as a recruiter because that to me is boom instant red flag what is this person trying to hide so um i i would say there are very very few cases where you might want to use that but i'm gonna say terrence if you can avoid that that is going to help you because you don't need to you are have been an executive you are an executive and now you're just looking to get back into that it's just kind of the same thing of saying you used to be a teacher then you went into business now you want to be a teacher again you haven't lost those teaching skills so so really, put that hat on and own it, Terrence. Thanks for calling Career Talk. We're taking your calls throughout the hour at eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So, so Ford, I know you wrote an article
4: mm-hmm.
1: recently on red flags, and so there's a there's a lot of them on there. Let's let's talk. Let's do like speed round.
4: Mm-hmm. What,
1: <laughs> what are some of those you 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 talked about a few earlier? But like let's let's bring them up so people know mm-hmm. what they need to be watching out for.
2: You're talking about red flags that would turn off employers or turn off employees?
1: Employers. So I'm a recruiter. What am I looking for sitting here on the other side of the desk?
2: Okay, good. So here's some additional red flags that could easily turn off employers. Um, How about this? During the interview, the candidate doesn't pay close attention and doesn't take any notes. How about this? The candidate doesn't send any thank you notes or follow-up after the interview.
1: Or it just sucks. Right. Yes. I think. I think. I say. I think a sucky thank you is just as bad as new thank you at all in a lot of cases. Some cases, it's worse. Like, don't be generic. Like, use this as an opportunity to, to sell r- yourself. To really, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's pretty easy. Take as you mentioned before, taking notes mm-hmm. that I talked to Ford about. You know, his interest in sailing and and that he's really, he really likes people who make plans and business plans and put that, you know, put it in the email, show that you listen, show that you have some interest. And okay, I have to ask you, I'm sorry, I know you have a list here, but (laughs) uh, email thank you or handwritten thank you?
2: Okay, good question. So in my opinion, most of the cases, an email thank you is fine and perfectly adequate, The situation that is we live in a world now where everybody communicates electronically and that's the most common and the most efficient way of communicating quickly back and forth. However, if you have an interview that goes extraordinarily well or you really, really connect or maybe you had a previous relationship with the interviewer, you know, and, and so you already knew them a little bit. In those rare cases, I think a handwritten, more friendly, more personal type of communication can be very powerful. The handwritten ones will certainly stand out and be more memorable. But in most typical interview cases, I would stick with the email thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree with the email and, and a lot of it too because you don't know where they are in the process. So if your handwritten email takes a week to get there and they're like, well, you know, guess mm-hmm. guess Ford didn't didn't appreciate this. Then then it comes, but they've already made a decision. Well, too sad. <laughs> all right, so keep going.
2: Okay, candidate shows up late for the interview, whether it's in person or by phone. Hey,
1: I have to ask you though, is that overcomable, Which is a word I completely made up.
2: Uh, it's tough. It's very very tough.
1: Uh, can I tell you? And I I'll tell you all a secret. When I when I came to Wharton to interview, I was late. And I was staying in a hotel literally across the street. But you know how hard it is to find buildings on campus. Mm. I gave myself a half hour and they were doing construction and we could find it. I was late by 10 minutes and I'm like, great. I have an mm-hmm. all day interview. I'm screwed.
2: Well, if you have a great <laughs> excuse, like an emergency type of excuse, maybe they'll forgive you. But in most cases, that ain't going to look good.
1: Yeah. I, all right. I totally agree. I, it caused me much, much stress and anxiety. But thankfully, all right. it all worked out.
2: Oh, yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. Should I give you a couple more?
1: Actually, um, why don't we take a call oh, really quickly? Like Even Kathy, better. Kathy in, in Pennsylvania, thanks for giving us a call on Career Talk. How can we help you today?
5: Yes, um, I had worked for 20 years as, as an office manager and got married, took 20 years off, and now I'm trying to get back into the workforce. What would I? How would I structure my resume or what would I write?
1: Kathy, great question. You and many, many, many others find themselves in this position, and I. I it's funny we just had um we just had an, an HR guest on a few weeks ago, and she was really honest about the fact that this can be tough. This is this is a tough situation uh, when you're redoing your resume. So tell us what did you what did you do previously, and what do you want to do now?
5: Previously, I was an office manager. I uh, took care of uh, Reconciling checkbooks, managing a staff of like, four people, did accounts payable, accounts receivable, just kind of mundane office work. And now it's like I think I want to go more into, like, a creative aspect.
1: Okay, so you're you're kind of making a double switch as I call it. So you're you're you have these skills that I mean, as an office manager, managing people, leading people, you know, accounting, all of those skills are very transferable to a lot of positions. Um, moving into a creative position when you've not done that is a layer on top of the challenge of going back into the workforce. So, if I had a recommendation for you, it would be to one stick with the first challenge which is getting back into the workforce and then two then move into the creative Role and one of the ways you can do that is as we were talking about earlier. You you've been an office manager, so you have a number of skills as an office manager. And maybe you worked in a big office, a small office. Maybe there are certain aspects that you had expertise on. Maybe you're really good at making processes more efficient, or maybe you're really good at seeing gaps and, and ensuring that the problems are, are solved before they happen. But I would find those skills that apply to any company. And I would pursue a job that's that's more aligned with the skills you have. And one of the things you could do to combine that is maybe you look in a creative company. So look in a company where they, they just happen to do creative things. Because if you go there and you prove yourself and you do a great job, it's going to be easier for you to shift into a more creative role once you've proven yourself than it will be for you to make that double switch forward.
2: I was going to say exactly the same thing about looking for an administrative or uh, office manager type of position in a creative environment, a publisher, an ad agency, uh, an Internet company, uh, you know, one of those kinds of organizations, a public relations firm. That's where you'll be able to make a more easy transition. And then in time, once you're working again, once they get to know you, trust you and like you, then you can uh, shift within the company into a more creative role. They might even mentor you or give you training.
1: And Kathy, one of the things that's going to be critical for you coming out of um, not working is a couple of things one demonstrating a uh, skill with technology cuz that's going to be for me as a recruiter a red flag are you are you up on all the technology so if you're not i would Take some classes or, or do some things to make sure you're up to speed on that. And the other thing that would be really important to me, even if you don't have the specific skills we're looking for, is is personality. I want somebody who's excited about coming back to the workforce. You know, I've 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 raised my kids. I'm I'm really excited about getting back into into the field and and you know making a difference and all of those things because that energy will inspire me, even if you don't have all the specific skills that I'm looking for. Kathy, thank you so much. We appreciate you listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Ford Myers, and we should probably answer the pre-break quiz. Mm, Good point. Okay, so according to research, using this in your email subject line can increase open rates by more than 60%. So... Okay, let me just preface this by saying this was a hard one, and there's probably many, many, many answers that, that could, could boost the open rates, but for this one, it's a specific answer. Ford, what do you think?
2: Well, the first thing that came to my mind was putting the recipient's first name in the subject line.
1: Yeah, and that, that's possible. And one of the things I want to tag on to that is that if you are referred to somebody
2: you but should referred
1: put by. yeah, re- but in putting referred by Ford Myers is going to inspire opening even if they don't know you. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that's not the right answer for this.
2: <laughs> yeah, <that was> close,
1: <laughs> but but hey, you brought up a really good point. So so we're <clears> saying <throat> Michelle Dion, what do you think? Uh, Okay. So mine was, you know, we get a lot of, uh, as a producer, you get a lot of pitches. People are trying to get you to open the email. So I really pay attention to those subject lines. And one thing that I realize people are doing, which I actually find very deceitful in the end, is they'll put um, the little reply, so R-E colon, uh, and then there. And so it tricks me to thinking we've had this conversation going Oh. And so I open it because I think it's something that I've already replied to, and they're replying back to me. It's very clever, but in the end, I don't like it. So I don't know if that helps open rates So you may you, you may open it, but you may then quickly delete I it. Will quickly close <laughs> so, it. Yes, and ignore. So so that may not be the result they're going for. Right. But... <laughs> no, that's clever. That was not what this person researched. But okay. Dion,
0: I'm going to say all caps.
1: Ooh, yelling!
0: If if you just yell at them, <laughs> they
1: open me. <laughs> I feel
0: like that works.
1: You know, that probably does work because there is research out there on the fact that if you put a call to action in your cover letter saying, you know, I'd really like to have an interview. I'll, I'll give you a call next week to set something up that you have a much higher rate of getting those interviews. So this idea of call to action, hey, ask for it because... People will give it to you. So, that's not the right answer for this one, but I I think that will work too. So, you guys, we all maybe need to do another study and include these things. But after looking at 85,000 email subject lines to understand why people open emails, which sounds so boring, um, (laughs) researchers discovered that what made the difference in that split second decision of whether or not um, to open the email was using informal language. Which is interesting. Time and time again, the informal language outperformed the formal language. For example, emails with a subject line that included thank you were opened at a rate of 16%, whereas subject lines with thanks were open at nearly 27%. Emails with assist, 14%, and emails with help had a 21% open rate. So, so using less formal language, plus all of the things you guys said, but also the length. So a short Subject line with one to fifteen um, characters was open twenty percent of the time. Long with with sixty one plus was open about half of that. So, but but I know Michelle. To your point, you said something earlier about putting the question in the subject line. Yeah. So if you so if you do that, why do you need to open the email? I mean. So, oh, well, that's true. So, that makes sense, though. But, but you still wah, get it. Wah. No, no, no. But I'm saying that's smart because you still get it read. It's true. You still got it red, And that's, that's the key point. I get so, my point across. Yeah, exactly. And longer
2: is better than shorter.
1: No, no, no. Shorter short is, is better than longer. Okay. But, but that's because we're looking at open rates. But mm-hmm. if Michelle puts her whole question in the email, I don't need to open it. You've actually just saved me time. I, I like that strategy. Um, <laughs> Zach in Georgia, how can we help you today? Welcome to Career Talk oh zach you sound like you're you're underwater i think you're uh you have a bad cell connection so maybe you can give us a call back at 844 wharton 844-942-7866 on a landline um jonathan in michigan how can we help you today
0: hi uh i I gotta say up front i appreciate the show you guys are definitely helpful and uh my question is i just got out of service i did 11 years of service in the military and uh in reference to resumes and interviews, is that something that my service, should I translate everything that I've done in service that does relate to the civilian community, uh, or should I just keep it as a military type of service? Skill, set, or and so forth.
1: That's a great question, Jonathan. And this this applies to the military, but also anybody who's looking to make a career switch. I think it's very important that you speak the the language of the interviewer because I have no doubt that what you've done is incredibly impressive. But as somebody who is a civilian and doesn't have military experience, I may miss the boat on that because I don't know what it is. I also am probably not going to be likely to ask you because let's face it, human humans don't want to look silly so we were, yeah that's that's great um, the other thing is by not translating it you're forcing me as the recruiter to do the work meaning okay I'm gonna look at this it looks like he managed teams I'm not really sure what a battalion is um, looks like it could have been a team so if I have to work that hard I'm probably not going to do it even though I'm I'm really impressed with with the skills that you bring so here's what I'd recommend and I know it's really difficult to 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 do this but I think if you work with a career coach who's experienced in they can help you is boil down your skills so if you um, to their core. So my guess is you've done a lot of project management that's very common in the military. So you've probably done a lot of things like like leading people, building plans, executing, and when I say that, I mean executing the project. Um, so really looking at those things and saying, okay, what does the business need that I've done? Because no doubt there's been a lot of things. Ford, what would you add?
2: Well, there's an old saying that I like a lot, which is speak to the person's listening. It's like what Dawn said. Oh, I like that. If you're going into a corporate market, a business market, speak business speak. Speak corporate speak. If you're looking for more opportunity in the military, then speak military. So speak to the person's listening. In other words, yes, I think you should translate... Your military experience and accomplishments into civilian language for the business market
1: so if you can if you can do a project um, project management very popular if you're really skilled at learning technology again very very important to the the business world if you're skilled in leadership and you know those things all of those skills when you boil them down to their very basics are so transferable Um, but I always recommend you do the work for them because if you do the work for them they walk out of the interview saying hey I know exactly where we can put Jonathan and it's right here if you don't do the work for them they might say wow Jonathan's really impressive we'd love to have him on our team but I don't don't know. I don't even know where to put them, and and that's the end of that. But, Jonathan, thank you so much for your service. We wish you all the best, and we really appreciate you listening to Career Talk. We are here every Thursday live, taking your calls. And for as always, it's flown by. Seriously. So, yes, please tell listeners where they can reach you.
2: Okay, sure. Best place to reach me is at careerpotential.com. That's careerpotential.com. Thank you.
1: So thank you again for listening. I appreciate all of the callers today. Michelle and Dion, you guys rock. And we are here taking your calls live every Thursday at noon. So be sure to dial into that. And hey, if you want more great tips and advice, you can sign up for my weekly blog at dawnoncareers.com. You've been listening to Career Talk. We are on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll catch you next time.